Hey guys, I just have a quick note before this episode. If you could spare two seconds, it would be amazing if you could rate and or comment on this episode and series on wherever you're listening. It takes two seconds and it would really, really help me out and get this podcast out to as many people as possible. Also, if you are free on Wednesday the 3rd of August and Wednesday the 17th of August and in London, I'm going to be doing two podcast live recordings at Somerset House, which is all free entry. And I'm going to be speaking to two amazing collectives. Um, So if you check out my Instagram at don't call me exotic pod and at O-N-E-O, you're going to see all the details. So thank you so much for listening and back to regular programming. Hello, welcome to Don't Call Me Exotic. I'm O-N-E-O. I'm a DJ radio presenter and promoter. This is the podcast where I invite people in the creative field to come talk to me about diversity, culture, personal experiences of racism, both in life and in their careers. I'd like to welcome my next guests, the founders of ESEA Music, a brand new community for UK-based ESEA, which stands for East and Southeast Asian, music industry professionals and artists, Tiger and Hiroki. Hi! Hi, Andy! <laughs> hey, what's up? Hi, how are you guys? Good. Good, yeah. thanks, yeah. Good. Would you like to introduce yourselves and tell me a bit about ESEA Music? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Tiger, and I'm an artist manager, project manager. Um, I work for Exile and Beggars for the last kind of 10 years, and I've gone freelance recently. And yeah, to make time for stuff like ESEA Music. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Hiroki Shirosuka. Um, I'm an artist manager and a founder of a management company called Giant Artist Management. I'm also a founder of Earth Percent, which is a music and environmental charity that uh, we started off with Brian Eno. Tell me about ESEA Music. Yeah, so ESEA Music is um, it's a community group that we set up in September last year. And we're basically a group of UK-based music industry professionals and artists that are all ESEA heritage in some way or some form. And I guess our kind of aims, you know, we want everyone to feel like like they have a sense of belonging in the group and there's inclusivity and all those things. And I kind of guess our bigger aims are, you know, to find better representation for people who look like us across the music industry. And hopefully that has ripple effects in the creative industry as well, you know? Yeah. So how did you guys meet each other? We've been asked a few times recently. Yeah. Um, And actually we don't remember. Yes, oh. <laughs> that's the honest truth. But it's been a, it's definitely over like 10 years, I'd say. Yeah, 15 yeah. 15 years or something. As long as I've been in the industry, I think I've known about Hiroki and connected with him, so. Yeah, we're a similar age. And actually like Tiger used to put on these parties, these warehouse parties. And and I remember going to them. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and actually like we kind of re- well, connected more when you were in Japan, right? Yeah. Like, when you're working, Tokyo, at, yeah. yeah, weren't working in Tokyo because we had some business that was going through a company that the Tiger was working in, and yeah, and I guess you know we kind of connected more since you, you came back to London. We share, we share friends. Yeah, we've got a lot of mutual friends that don't work in music, which I think is a nice way to, I don't know, build trust as well. You know, because yeah. it's not just through biz. Yeah. So why did you guys both come together and feel the need to? make something like ESEA yeah. music? Um, I guess the genesis came from, I mean, the political climate at the moment, right? The last few years and everything that's happened around Black Lives Matter, 
obviously with Blackout Tuesday and the death of George Floyd or the murder, I should say. Um, and that kind of Blackout Tuesday and the Black Squares really started from an initiative in the music industry in America. So both of us working in the music industry, you know, really felt that change and um, kind of the just shift in, you know, general thinking around race and identity that happened for so many people. So it's definitely been influenced by that. Plus the kind of, you know, the pandemic starting and the Stop Asian Hate movement that kind of was also born off the back of Black Lives Matter, right? So it just, I was, you know, and I was studying at the time for an MA and studying about race and identity. And it just felt like I couldn't talk to anybody in the music industry about my specific experience. And I kind of just started thinking, what's the best thing that I can do with the energy that I have, all the diversity work that I've done at the labels um, I've worked for and conversations I'm having. And so it just, I was just really, I just, I was like, oh, this makes sense to do. And I reached out to Hiroki and we went, I think we went for a drink and he was just like, yes. And I was like, thank God you said yes immediately. Because if you'd <laughs> said no, I might have like doubted myself or like thought we didn't yeah. need it. And so that's kind of just, he said yes. And then we had our first meeting and it kind of just, you know, we launched two weeks ago and the reaction to it has only like justified that tiny feeling I had, you know, yeah, to start something. So yeah, that's kind of the kind of genesis, I guess. Yeah. Because I, I, before I went freelance, I was working in the music industry as well. And I honestly can't tell you how many people I've met from ESEA background. Yeah. I think one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, how many people were on the spreadsheet that we made at the beginning? Uh, literally 10. Yeah. It's... And, you know, we've been in the industry 15 years. You know? Oh we God. were like, literally, oh, wait. No, oh, yes, yes, that person, you know? I think it was, you know, the first meeting, there were 10 of us there. So how did it kind of grow from 10 on an Excel spreadsheet to, like, what, there's like 100 plus people yeah, involved Yeah, 150 now, now we've launched. Oh it. my yeah. God. We, had, we added a 50 people since we've launched, yeah. Wow. Which is great. Which is just people kind of like yeah. submitting. Yeah, yeah, stuff. exactly. Just people come. Well, yeah, and to be honest, we've had these like five um, meetups. You know, we've done, yeah, we've done our fifth one every two months um four of them uh in person and then one was on zoom during the kind of the omicron lockdown yeah but yeah but actually like every time we've done the meetups like you know like different people come you know like word of mouth and you know invitations get spread through yeah friends of friends and actually it's been like a really organic process because there isn't like a master list you know of yeah people, ESEA people <laughs> in industry so and obviously there's people that you know that we all know but you know that you know not everyone knows everyone sort of thing so I think it's been super nice actually just uh you know the support of the community and everybody kind of you know telling other people about it and and every time we do these meetups you know it's such a nice environment because mm. I think you know I think the people that come have genuinely been excited to kind of be there or looking for something like this mm. yeah and uh and you know so it's been really organic you know and then obviously we launched and you know we had some social media internet presence and that's kind of you know um spread the word out a little bit more but yeah, yeah. a lot of it's been like really organic kind of community driven yeah and a basement feature yeah we got the basement got feature. Press involved. and i also like i felt i felt some personal pressure when we launched having launched so many album campaigns to not <laughs> f it up you know because i was just like if we can't you know when we added like <laughs> I think we added like 500 followers in the like first five days. I was like, yes, if project management wise, I'm very happy. But, you know, I was really like, I could do my job, you know? Yeah. But I think a bit, you know, the, the reason why, you know, 
we had our first meeting in September when we launched kind of, I say in July, you know, or June, sorry, is that we wanted everyone to feel welcome before we launched. So it wasn't like all these OGs, other right. OGs in the music community, like how, how have I not been invited, yeah. you know, to this? Because there's so much people, you know, so much like excluding as it is that we yeah. wanted to make sure everyone was in. So I think by yeah. the time it launched, people were just like, am I allowed to swear? Fuck yeah, yeah you know? <laughs> it's like launching. People yeah. were just waiting for so long. Yeah. Um, but we went through well, a big- I didn't realize that was kind of, reason why we wanted everyone in before you know like as many people as felt organic and then we also went through a really long design process because we wanted it to look good and the designer tim wan who's incredible really helped us narrow down you know like what it is you know the the logos had so much thought even the name even the simplest of the name (laughs) esc music has been through many rounds you know what's that group about yeah (laughs) um but it's full of artists but also people who work like yes in the industry as well so it's yeah. open to everyone but yeah. yeah i guess if you're creating a, a community that's based on inclusion like you do want to give people a chance to be yeah, included you know and it takes a bit of time you know people can read about it you know but it's, i think it's coming to the meetups people really understand you know yeah and it's a big deal for a lot of people who have never been in a room full of people that look like them really and that's yeah. quite an emotional experience for some of the people that come you know yeah. and I think it's not I can't underestimate like I just don't underestimate how full-on that is for people as well mm-hmm. you know we've had some incredible messages what, I'm gonna what, cry on the podcast but cry, cry. <laughs> no but like but, I mean like you know we don't have to share names and stuff but what what are kind of the- yeah I can think of one especially for someone an artist who's like a similar age that I've known for you know known just by being in music for a long time I don't want to miss quote what he said and he and he shared it on um, Instagram and stuff but he was just saying it's like the first time he's really felt belonging I think is kind of I'm gonna summarize but (laughs) but it was very like heartfelt you know and it was and he's a grown you know man and it was just like I don't know it just it it it's beyond what I expected that kind of reaction and I think that's only gonna keep happening and it's also a lot of not pressure but work for us to keep that feeling there you know as well but I think it's also really kind of beautiful of like us taking up space in these like I mean tell us like where we've met where do we meet we met in uh, Romance FC yeah the football team that I played we met there (laughs) we met in um, Hidehone's well one of our kind of you know um, members he's an awesome manager Um, his office Mm -hmm. theory management their office we met in we did P.S. P.S. Yeah, big up Mark Mayer. Yes. Yeah, we did P.S. Uh, we also did a meeting in secretly Canadian offices. Yeah, Yasmin. Big up Yasmin. Yeah. I guess the idea with those is to like literally take up space yeah. in those buildings. It's like pretty basic, but, <laughs> but it's it, like, like at nighttime. Yeah, 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 no, but they like, you know, they at least by going into the building, they're aware of us. They give us some free drinks. Not that's the most important thing, but I think uh, it's important. It, yeah, <laughs> I think for me, it's like, you know, if you never go into those spaces, especially as a new artist, it's just like normalizing. They're just these like kind of not cool buildings most of the time, you know, these like amazing record labels are sometimes not in the great yeah. just by going in it just demystifies it yeah just for young people you know it just makes that yeah demystification it makes it feel more normal you know that you can enter you know uh what some people might think is quite uh you know quite this kind of this like you know this the space that they may not have been able to enter before yeah, yeah. 
a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, because I didn't think about it that deep until mm. I realized what was happening. And then yeah, I was I like, see. oh. <laughs> yeah, we're coming for every music industry. <laughs> I think we got, yeah, there's Mixcloud, Platoon, hopefully Spotify. I think that, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's not that big a deal for them. Yeah. But it is, it it's is big, for it's us. It's big for the young, you know. Yeah, no, no, for, uh, I meant yeah. for the companies, you know, yeah. to give us some space. Yeah. But it, I think rather than doing it in the pub, you know, or I don't know, it just, to me, it seemed important to do it in those spaces. And it also makes it more of a meeting and not just mm -hmm. like a, let's get drunk, you know, we can have an actual meeting and conversation. Yeah. Semi-serious, serious, I don't know. Yeah. It is one of the most organized meetings, I have to oh. say. Like, <laughs> of course. So, it is like we literally but, sit around the boardroom explaining yeah like, hi i'm annie yeah. i have a podcast yeah and we make we get everyone to stand up and if they're comfortable say their her yeah. heritage and their background i think that's important and interesting you know yeah. to learn that kind of thing yeah so you guys have said that you know some of the quote-unquote elders in the group are in their like late 30s early 40s mm -hmm which is still really young. And I just feel like, are there even like ESEA representation in like the super executive levels? Like, do they even exist? It's not great, you know, as in it's pretty bad, I would yeah. say, across the board. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I think, especially as we started kind of doing this group, it was like very painfully obvious that, you know, ESEA execs at senior level was really, you know, few. You know, I would say, and I think there's you know there's a lot of kind of questions to ask about. You know, like why? You know, why are there so few ESEA people at that top level? You know, is it uh, is it you know there were no ESEA people at all? Mm. No, I'm not sure about that. You know, they you know did they hit a ceiling? You know, or did they quit? I think that's a big question. You know, when I first started doing management, you know, we set up our company when I was 25. So we were quite young and, and actually one of the things that, you know, we got advised when we were, you know, when we first starting out was because especially like the music industry, especially the management game, it was a very kind of older white male kind of dominated space. And, you know, the biggest advice was, you know, as soon as you started getting some success, watch your back because the, you know, the more experienced managers will try and come in for your artists. Oh my God. Yeah. That True. was the advice you got. <laughs> That's so hard. I mean, it's heartbreaking though. But it just, but it was just the way it was, you know. So, so like you know, like if for example, some big manager came in as I was kind of you know coming through, and like you know, and they took our artist, you know, like you know, the question would be, you know, would I still be here doing management? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you know, what would have happened? Would I have quit? You know. And I think that, you know, and obviously, like, thankfully for my artists, for, you know, for sticking, <laughs> for sticking with us, you know. No, but that's testament to you as a manager as well. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, but it, you know, but those sort of questions, you know, like, you know, I think especially when we started doing ESA music and even looking back at my own career, mm -hmm. you know, you know, how, I guess, you know, what, what, this, what the, the state of the, the music industry systems were mm -hmm. and what were often, like, you know, things that were happening. And especially as a, a, a person of colour, you know, how it would have affected me, you know, if some of these things that I just said did happen, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously, fortunately, I'm still here, but, you know, I could imagine other people, yeah, you know, leaving the industry mm. or leaving that job or, you know, like, you know, just not getting as far as yeah. their other kind of, you know, quote-unquote white counterparts, yeah. It's a very white, you know, male-dominated 
you know, part of the music industry. There's hardly any women, full stop. What do you think management specifically? Yeah, I guess with, not to go too deep into management, but it's definitely like, there's a lot of risk, right? You're taking, you know, on with new artists and you need time and money and energy, you know? And you need clout and that's what a lot of white old men have. (laughs) Way more Mm. clout than, I'm not saying Hiroki, but than me, you know? So it's like quite, um, it's quite a difficult thing to get into, I think. So do you think that kind of changes when it's like in in the space of like labels and stuff or like well I guess there's just more yeah I guess in labels there's more different kinds of roles right and like so you could go into it and work in accounts so you could work in royalties and you could get you know more stable income management's just very precarious I think yeah it's, uh, <laughs> 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 we no. go deep into a management conversation no it's an, it's an entrepreneurial job yes, right and you know you're often working for yourself you know Mm. and and you don't have that level of protection or some um especially i guess like you know people of color you know like you know more senior figures around to Mm. not just guide but you know to make sure that you're doing all right and stuff like that so you know i think you know this isn't just you know just um you know personal color thing but you know managers management job as a whole can be quite a lonely quite a singular kind of profession so especially when you put that in the context, you know, of, you know, um, of a marginalized mm. group, you know, you can, you know, that can be enhanced. Mm. That makes sense. So that leads into my next question of, do you ever feel like imposter syndrome? Because you guys have been in music for what, yeah. 10 plus years. So yeah, I think, yeah, imposter syndrome is super interesting because I kind of, you know, I mix. So I have uh, not to go on the therapy couch and talk about it too much, <laughs> but like my, I have a white father who is pretty much, is ve- probably never has imposter syndrome because he's white and British and he's a lecturer. I mean, I'm sure he does. Whereas my mum does a lot more because she's an immigrant because and all the things that she's told me that kind of made me feel like, an, you know, it's not her fault, but just like the way that... Um, so I think throughout my career in music, I think there's an intersection between being woman, being a woman and being Asian that has meant that I go into situations and I assume that I'm not. I can't be the creative person or I can't be the person leading this. So it's taken a long, you know, a long time of walking into those meetings and doing a lot of organizing and really hard work to just even get in the doors of some of these, like, you know, to get in the door of exile, it's been a lot of work, you know? Um, But I treated it like getting into Cambridge and Oxford as far as I was concerned. I was like, I'm going to work my butt off, you know? Um, But, you know, like it's, it's an, you know, obviously an incredible label with an amazing history. So it's just, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't gonna I was gonna get in through hard work and I think that's been my whole mo in the music industry really and I think some of that is because of imposter syndrome I'm not just gonna walk in and like I don't know it's it's not the same for me it's funny that you say that about your dad because literally today and yesterday something's been going around my head and I was like I wonder if white cisgender straight men Mm. ever feel this Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they must do. I just think I know the influence of having a white cisgendered man in my life that was very like, you can do what you want. Yeah. Don't stop. You know, I mean, this is like an old story, but I remember the first day I went to nursery, my dad was very much like, he called me Tiger, you know, for mm-hmm. a start. And he's like, <laughs> you can be the boss of all these boys or you can be the secretary. It was quite basic, you know, but I was like, oh, I don't want to be the secretary. But, you know, it's like the way that my first job was like, remember I was a runner at Blink, a production company with videos. And they were like, do you want to be a producer or a director? 
And I was like, I don't know that they're, they're probably you should be a producer. It's just like I'm a woman. I should organize things. It's like a very normal. And I feel like if you add Asian onto it, it's just like you should be quiet and organized mm. and like stationary. And, you know, when some of these things are true, but it doesn't, you know. But because you're a human being, yeah. you know, so I think this is so, for me, it's so connected to feeling like an imposter in some of those spaces. I want to talk about what happened with Rina Sawayama last year. Despite having lived in the UK, I think at that time it was 26, but now probably 27 years, she has a Japanese passport because Japan doesn't allow dual citizenship. So she was, <laughs> well, you're, yeah, I know. Um, so she was actually ineligible <laughs> to be nominated for the Brits and the Mercury Prize. Um, but then she, uh, through petitioning the BPI, who organizes both these awards, changed the rules and now allow artists who have been a resident of the UK for more than five years, um, they can now qualify. Which I didn't even think it was a thing. Like I didn't even, it was almost this like invisible rule that I guess- no one had ever challenged before, which is crazy. And it's amazing that Rina took it on, you know? It's like a really, it's just super smart. And she really did it in the right way, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes there's all these old rules, right? And it's sometimes just pointing them out. And I feel like, not to, to compare Rena to what we're doing at all, but like, I think even with ESE and music, I was like, if we just exist, mm. some things might change because yeah. no one's pointed it out. Yeah. And I think, especially with that, the timing of it, and she hasn't just done it for herself. There was so, there's a, um, a bay who was signed to XL can now, you know, one of them's lived here for over five years. They can now apply for a break. It's amazing, you know? I mean, did you guys know of this rule? No. Did you, Hiroki, before Rina? Mm, no. Yeah. But there just comes, like, who knew, like, unless you're literally an artist who's trying to be nominated yeah. or you're on the board who makes these rules, it's almost like the, our our view of representation is so skewed and we don't even mm. know it. And I think that's scary. Mm. No, definitely. Like, not even, not- yeah, noticing or thinking about it, you know? Because you would just think, like, oh, mm. like, She's not nominated, like, for what reason? She's lived in the UK since she was, like, a kid, a you kid. know? It's not just, like, she moved in her 20s to, like, have a music career. She's, but like, educated. She did, yeah, I know. She's, like, educated in the UK. All these, yeah, I guess you're coming down to, like, nationality and who, it, you know, who belongs and who's allowed. But, yeah, it's, it, it, it's fucked. But then she was saying that, quote, part of me was worried that I was going to be blacklisted from the music industry for bringing this up, but I'm glad I did end quote um but I thought that quote was quite sad because I can really relate to it because despite having being one of the biggest pop stars of the moment despite all her successes and and you know she's been going for such a long time as well that she felt like by pointing out something that was just wrong Mm. she felt like maybe her career might be yeah blacklisted it's it's really sad yeah it just like makes us think that you know despite like actually earning our spaces in these like yeah and in our careers and stuff we always feel like we should be grateful and thankful Mm, i agree and there is a risk you know even yeah even with doing something like it's i mean even as esa music but even as you know doing diversity work in any spaces there is a risk to that person doing it and i don't I think it's always like, oh, it's nice and nice to do the diversity work. But actually, once you get into it and you start, you know, really saying stuff and seeing stuff and pointing stuff out, 
I don't think it does you any favors, you know, for your career and all these oh my kind God, of things. God, don't say that. No, I think diversity work is really hard. It's like really hard on people who are doing it within any company, you know. And there's quite a few people in ESA Music who are doing diversity work through that, you know, through the labels that they work stuff. at. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's, ama- it's amazing. It's part of like, but it's hard, you know. I guess it's like a thankless job. It's a thankless job. Come on. It's like, what you know. What 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 is the you know and you can and only I think you can only do it if you're doing it right for a while, for a little bit. It's a lot, yeah. and it's always like an extra that you do. You know, yeah. Like a, I think any of that stuff, mental health work, diversity work, it's like difficult. You know. Definitely support those people that are doing it. Yeah, support them, and also like people. Not everyone has to do it as well. You know, mm. people have to do it at the right time in their own. I feel like doing ESCA music is my diversity work, you know, now. I mean, it obviously is. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's a, it's a much more, like, healthy uh, kind of way of processing some of that, you know? I, I want to talk about some of the challenges you guys have faced mm-hmm. in 10-plus years of music. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's challenges, but we were talking about this earlier, like, with Tiger. And, and I think one thing that kind of looking back at some of my not even younger days it still happens now but you know there's a bit of, there's still unconscious bias right so you know where like an asian person can't be like the most senior person in the room I and mean, obviously we just talked about it in terms of you know there's so little you know there's so few uh you know senior figures that maybe you know people are just normalized you know into thinking that but you know there's been so many occasions you have a meeting with your staff your assistants or whoever or even on emails, but, you know, um, the person that you're meeting, uh, they just, you know, don't think you're the, the boss, you oh know, or the, you know, or the senior figure, Good you know. Right? And, you know, I think for, you know, I think for a while, like, you know, just kind of, like, yeah, whatever, you know, sort of vibe. But actually, once we set up ESC yeah. Music, you know, I was like, you know what, this is the sort of thing that actually, you know, happens day to day, you know, without you know, probably, like, I'm sure, like, you know, without, you know, the other person, you know, thinking, you know, in a, in a malicious way, they were just conditioned to think that, yeah. you know, like an Asian person, you know, doesn't hold the most senior role. So, you know, I was definitely, uh, you know, kind of remembering some of these occasions, you know, and yeah, you know, it still happens today, you know, funnily enough, you know, so. Yeah, when Hiroki told me that, I was definitely like, you need to say that out loud to other people, because it's like quite, um, I think I mean I think it's quite vulnerable of you to like say that as well, but I think in a good way, you know. In a and I think Hiroki runs, a, you know, and owns a company, you know. Mm. So it's like there are not that many people who own companies and are managers and that are Asian to even have that experience to tell me, yeah. you know. So I think him vocalizing that is, you know, really important. I've had something recently where like if I'm collaborating with a friend and they're a man, then if we're having like a meeting or something, they will not look at me when the other person will not make eye contact with me. And I'm like, hi, like you can ask me the question or even if I'm commenting or like replying back to something, they'll still look at him. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You know, I think uh, going into like management more now as well, it's like, you know, I work with one artist and I work with another white manager and we co-manage together and, we had very open conversations when we first started working about how it would totally seem like I was the day-to-day assistant, you know, in oh, meetings. So just uh, be conscious of that and the other person totally is. And we, but it's, it's you know, it's taken me a long time to be able to say that. I wouldn't have said that in my 20s, you know? Mm. And so I think 
yeah that yeah for me it's just the intersection of the stuff that women go through in the music industry and then if you add you know the asian lens on it um what yeah the outcomes of you know meant that i'm you know doing the things i'm doing or doing yeah. the work that i'm doing is pretty obvious to me well I'm, yeah. I'm definitely able to recognize and kind of call things out but also you like we said before you have to really be careful on like how you yeah approach these subjects because they're so sensitive and like I don't know I get that too where I'm like I don't want to be blacklisted for always just being like you know the loud person who's gonna call people out mm. but you, know, yeah. burnt, you get burnt out you know using up a lot of energy internally which is kind of why I set up ESCA music so it's like it's a collect you know it's a collective way of doing it rather than one person you know pointing stuff out I think and a lot of the time like the stuff that you're pointing out for the other person they've maybe never thought about so it's like to learn to receive critique and criticism in a way that you know for us you know for anybody as a way of like learning and I think if you can be open to unlearning and learning that then you know it's actually a favor when someone points it out to you or you point it out to them but it's just yeah it's it's it, it's exhausting as well, right? You can't do it forever, Annie. <laughs> Make a podcast about it instead. <laughs> no, but someone recently um, told me, like, she's white and she had listened to a few episodes and she was like, like, I just never knew about any yes. of this. It's really important. Just had no what you're idea doing. what was yeah. happening. Um, which is, like, wild to me because I just feel like I'm talking about this shit all day, every day. But... I guess maybe that's that's a positive approach because then it's yeah. not just like hey you you're like being this it's like let's just talk about our experiences and then some in some way it'll get out and people yeah. listen and, and also if people aren't willing to change or like willing to yeah. confront that then they'll just be defensive yeah exactly and you can see well. it as soon as they're like you know defensive yeah. about stuff <laughs> and you're like okay we're in this zone <laughs> I think especially with specifically with the east southeast asian I guess identity, especially in the UK, is that, you know, people don't see it as a difference, you know? We get treated as white, you know, treated in a... Especially being mixed, people are just like, oh, but you're kind of white, aren't you? So it doesn't really affect you. And then, you know, you're like, you know, but it does. That joke you've been saying for the last 15 years kind of, you know, annoys me now. <laughs> Please don't <laughs> say it. Um, but yeah, That's it's such just, a weird thing to say. You're basically white anyway. No, but, you know, like, I think it doesn't... I don't know what the... Well, in context of like you saying I'm going through. Yeah, stuff. well, like, I guess, okay, let's put it this way. It's like, I didn't, I didn't feel very comfortable with using the term person of color for a long time. It's taken me a long time to kind of come around to being able to say that about myself. Maybe it's because I'm mixed, but I feel like I had to do the work internally mm. to be able to use that word, I think, because I think it can I'm also carrying the other people of color. I'm connecting myself with other people of color and their struggles in using that terminology. Yeah. Um, I think, and that's, you know, every, you know, and I'm also, because I've lived in Japan as well, it's very, com yeah, identity is complicated. <laughs> it gets confusing. Who am I? Yeah. So I was born in Can... Uh, no, I wasn't. I was born in Korea. <laughs> the fuck? Um, born in Korea, <laughs> grew up in Canada. And in Canada, Asian people are East and Southeast Asian. Right. That's like, and, you know, the term in America, Asian American, there's identity there and heritage mm -hmm. and citizenship. And I feel like that, when I moved to the UK, there was no term mm -hmm. because obviously like Asian is uh, traditionally uh, identifying South Asian mm -hmm. in the UK. 
And when I moved here, I was like, I don't know what to, when I'm saying I'm Asian, they're like, yeah, but, and I was like, I can't believe there isn't a term mm. to describe where I'm from. Mm. So I'd always just be like, I'm Korean. And then they just be like, which Korea are you from? <laughs> so wow, like, that's a whole like, nother, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's been with a that. long life yeah but uh yeah i mean the term esea and i know we're like pretty much like fully into this podcast episode but but it stands for east and southeast asian mm-hmm. it's a relatively new term yes so like what are your relationships to that term yeah it's definitely obviously it's quite a new term right and i think and anytime there's like a new <laughs> Not to get my MA hat on too much, but I think anytime there's like a new grouping or collective, there's like, it's not just happening in isolation, right? It's like all of these conversations, you know, the pandemic, stop Asian hate, the fact that we were all racialized as Chinese and that equaled COVID or that equaled like danger or disease, all these things. So that weirdly has brought us all together, which is kind of crazy. Or Trump has brought us together by uh, the racist terminology used around, you know? And I think... So I think the the fact that it's new, you know, we should always be open to like what that means and who it excludes and who it doesn't. And I especially think my relation, you know, the re- the reason ESCA music is called ESCA music is that it it really is kind of born from ESCA sisters and be seen and ESCA heritage months and that's just taking up the space within that word Asian and using that to ter- you know using that term. So I think. It is a phrase that we're using now a lot more, but it also, I do, you know, I don't know if it's like a very middle class group of people using that word, you know, already within creative industries, we're already, you know, oh I don't think I it's like, think sorry, about that. sorry to be a bump. I don't think it's like represented, you know, of all East Southeast Asian people. Yeah. So it's like thinking about, yeah, like not, I don't, that's not the mission of ESCA music, but it is. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely of a certain kind of group of people that if I'm sure if we went into some more activism spaces, they'd be like, but you're not inclusive of, you know, that, you know, so it's definitely something to think about. But the music industry in general is like pretty classist, you know, to get in. So, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Well, I I just kind of wish it was like less of a mouthful because if you're like ESEA, East and Southeast Asia, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, we could still use Asian, you know, I think yeah. that word, all these words, right, that we're using change, right, with time mm. and who uses them and like, we start using the word Asian, it will start to mean that. But I think it was important to have that term for us at that time. And I think it may change, you know, in 10 years time, we might not need to use it. But you're right, for now, it does, you know, feel important. No, I think I think it's great, you know, that like, you know, this term is being kind mm. of uh, starts to be used. I think even for other kind of like, you know, um, non-Asian people, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to see the differentiation or to be able to understand that, you know, that uh, I guess, you know, even especially in the UK, there is a South Asian, you know, mm-hmm. um, population and there's a, you know, East and Southeast Asian population, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, within the context yeah. of, you know, Asia, you know. It's important, you um, know, and it's super important that we're... Um... You know, I've seen some places use Southeast Asian and East Asian, you know, because obviously the East Asian is more dominant. So, you know, that to think think about that as well. And also just in the last year and a half, I've learned so much about Southeast Asia that wouldn't happen if this did, you know? And I think like you, I was always just like, I'm Japanese. I don't even count myself as being Asian, you know? And so I think 
that has broadened my, you know, knowledge and like uh, connection with other people because there are similarities, but we're, it's also not a monolith, you know, all these things are all very different as well. And like, and also, you know, being Japanese and British, you know, I'm from two imperial countries, you know, I'm just like did a lot of harm in Asia and Europe and the world. You know, so just like holding that as well, you know. Sorry, bummer. Don't carry so much guilt, Sorry. Tiger. <laughs> it's not your studying. fault. I know it's not my fault, but it's like I think you have to still hold those things when you're like organizing, I guess, because it's not, you know, I know this terminology is problematic, you know, really. Yeah. Well, words are just a construct. Yeah, Race concept, runs to the concept. We're just using colonial, blah, 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 those kind of. Anyway, yes. Tell us about Sesame. Yes. Yes, Sesame, yeah. <laughs> Which is the cutest name. The best name ever. ever. It was one of the original names for ESCA music, but we thought it wasn't as, you know, Sesame was perfect. For Sesame it. is perfect. for It's, it's, a, it's, it's the mentorship scheme um, that we're doing at ESA music. Sesame being the little seed. So cute. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do much. <laughs> But yeah, but you know, um, when we first kind of started, you know, we had a, we had a call with Zoom with uh, you know Asian American collective who are kind of our listener, you know, well they're they're doing you know uh, they've been a lot you know around for a lot longer, but um, they're kind of the American kind of um, you know, counterpart, you know, to what ESCA music is, and we had a Zoom with Grace, um, and you know she was just saying that um, mentorship steam was probably the most important thing that they've done, you know. And how um, it brought the kind of community together in this kind of really proactive way, and and I think you know for their kind of community it was probably the most kind of you know the, the tangible kind of most uh, positive thing that they did. So obviously we took some of those notes, <laughs> and uh, and we brought it back into our you know ESCA music group, and and really like you know it's it's uh, it's really the work of um, Lucinda Tsei, you know Emily Moss, um, Annette Lee. Um, who've been working super hard on getting this together. So they have, uh, well, you know, put together this program starting this month. And, whoop, whoop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, we're starting this year uh, internally within the group itself. Uh, there's six pairs, you know, one mentor and one mentee. And, uh, and then next year, you know, we're going to go a bit more kind of um, public and take it external. But... Yeah, they're starting this month, you know, and uh, and yeah, I'm just gonna read out, um, you know, what Lucinda, Emma, and Annette uh, are kind of looking to do for the overall aims of Sesame, because you know, they've written you know some amazing phrases, and I just want to make sure that you know they're mm. they're credited to the max, because you know, they've literally like you know done such a great job with this. Um, so they said, you know, the overall aims of Sesame are to one facilitate support systems within the music industry that promote communication and positivity leading to better mental and creative health. And then number two, to further equality within the industry, protecting paths to sustainable careers for underrepresented groups. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a real, um, with with Sesame in the way, I really like that we have mentorship as one of like the core things that we're doing because I think a lot of, you know, it's a stereotype, but it's a lot of, you know, I guess belief that, Asian people aren't as creative or that we're not, uh, we're organized or that, you know, like if you go way back, you know, these ideas of us being unemotional, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy. And also, you know, with having immigrant parents that maybe like want us to have more safe jobs to not get jobs in the creative industry, right? So I think having, you know, 
just knowing how many like I did maths at uni and I should have probably gone into accounting or something you know or like I think there will be so many great people at the London School of Economics whatever it is that are smart that should be music lawyers or they should be music managers or and to like attract some of those people in I think Sesame is you know yeah, yeah. it's gonna be amazing you know amazing and they'll be the future you know managers managing the future you know ESEA artists you know that's my aim goal London School of Economics <laughs> coming for you no, LSE, <laughs> LSE students, let's go. No. no, no, for sure. Yeah, we have such a, a representation issue, you know, yeah. with artists and professionals. And yeah, this is like, you know, one of the ways that we're trying to help the next generation come through. Sesame. Well, what will the grown up sesame be? Like when they're grown sesames? I think that's it, right? How you don't grow sesames beyond. How do sesames? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, just oil. I just imagine them like pods. No, yeah. surely that would take so long to get all the seeds out. How do that seeds? Is, how do you collect that's, seeds? That's a different podcast. <laughs> how do you collect seeds? And he asks big questions. Oh my god! Do, are they just from the ground? Oh my god! Uh, I don't know. <laughs> We're so city people. We need to live. <laughs> so besides an international DJ like myself, what other? <laughs> yes, Annie. What other what, stars? What other artists are part of ESEA? Music. Yeah, we've got quite a right. There's, I mean, there's a lot of artists now, actually, since we've opened it up. I reckon there's more artists coming in than professionals, and there are a lot of new artists. That's so like very positive for the future. But we've got artists like uh, Miso Extra, Konji, uh, Henry Wu, Lucinda Schwa. Can you think of any more? Biba Dubi. Yeah. Sawayama. Are they in the group? I know, sorry. I don't think Rina are they in chess. the WhatsApp group? Yeah, they're uh, not in the WhatsApp, but Rina is definitely target. She will be in. Um, who else have we got in there? We've got Emma, obviously. Emmy the Great. We've got Pian Wu. There's loads, basically, as well as yourself. With all these artists joining, why do you think it's important for artists, but also people who are working behind the scenes in the music industry to be connected? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the things I've noticed through my work and stuff is the importance of having ESEA people on your team um, and not just like your hair and makeup or like your glam, you know, like the creative team, but to have them working on your projects. And I think there's still this, I don't think that that understanding exists within the industry. So I think one of the things that is important is just to show all these artists that there are people in the industry that look like them and it's already happening where people are like starting to work together. And I think it means, you know, Biba Doobie, if she wants a Filipino PR person, there should be one. And if there isn't, we should, you know, like for help that. And like, you know, I now work with Rina, but it's like, I'm like the only Japanese person in the UK team working on, you know, her record. And I think that is important, you know, and it's not, and sometimes it's very subtle. And sometimes it's like, that's what the record is about. <laughs> yeah. And you haven't hired us, you know? So it's like, it's very, a very big, uh, you know, and I learned, you know, I worked on Yeji's record at Excel and that was a big, you know, I was like, oh shit, this is important. And I think that is a big MO for how I want to work. And I think that, I think I want the industry to kind of get that, you know? Cause I think they get it for other artists of color. I guess there just isn't that many people yes to be like oh well we can link these people together yeah. which is why it's so great that we almost have like a directory yeah exactly it's like things. look at all this talent yeah. so the next person who comes through is like oh is there and you're like here's five prs 
Yeah. You know, here's a project manager, you know, like all this that that is like organically happening just by grouping together. And yeah. What's that? Holding us down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was kind of a Discord scene or a Slack, but we got a yeah, we're together, you know. Thank you so much you guys for coming on the podcast. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, the two founders of ESCA Music. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> Thanks for your Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Tiger and Hiroki from ESEA Music. You can find us on socials at ESEA underscore music on Instagram and Twitter. I'll also be hosting two live podcast recordings in London at Somerset House, big, big Somerset House in August on two Wednesdays, the 3rd of August and the 17th of August with two amazing collectives as my guests, The Bitten Peach and Pussy Palace. These will be free to attend, so make sure you check at Don't Call Me Exotic Pod and at O-N-E-O on Instagram so you can get all the details. You can also email me at don't call me exotic pod at gmail.com. Oh, and make sure you don't call people exotic. Bye.